Hey everyone, welcome to tonight's Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky joined shortly by Kirk Morrison. Uh, you know, as of course he hosts the Rams pre and post game, but like he kind of hosts everything. Like if you if you look him up, like Kirk is all over the place, uh, you know, doing uh, college football broadcasts, pro football stuff, Sirius XM radio. He is all over the place and he will be joining us momentarily to look back a little bit at what we saw this weekend with the Rams and obviously look ahead to what we're going to see this weekend with the Rams in Green Bay. So <clears throat> we'll get there. But in the meantime, you said it yourself, Andy. The Lakers broke yes. the Houston Rockets. Like they, yes. they, they, have, they have broken the franchise once known as the Houston Rockets. And to be clear, this is not just... I'm not just referencing the 117-100 win, which really wasn't even that close tonight. Oh, God, no. No. They were up by 20 at the end of the first quarter, I think. No, no, Brian. No, they were up by 25. (laughs) They were up by 25 in the first quarter. That is hard to do. Yeah. Like 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 21 at the end of it, Andy. Don't make it seem like it was a bigger deal. Like a a 25-point spread, that's big, period. But getting that big of a spread by the end of a first quarter, it's not that's easy. that's really, really hard. But it's not just the result of tonight. It is the result of the last game where they beat the crap out of the Rockets, and then the playoffs where they completely beat the crap out of the Rockets. Unless you're going to give that much credit to the absence of Daniel House. Uh, they just destroyed him <laughs> again, and that is the, it is the common denominator. You're right through all of these things is they haven't done this with Daniel House. That is, yeah, yeah. And uh, tonight, excuse me. Afterwards, uh, James Harden was at the podium, and let me see if I can find the exact quote. But basically, said, "I'm out of here." Uh, reading from Tim McMahon covers the Rockets and all the Texas teams for ESPN. James Harden says. The Rockets are, quote, just not good enough. Uh, ellipsis, I love this city. I literally have done everything I can. Literally, I mean, th- literally th- have done this, everything. This situation is crazy. It's something I don't think can be fixed. And then he just walked out away, walked away from the podium, didn't take any more questions. And uh, it's pretty clear that, as if we didn't know anyway, he wants out. Also, by the way, John Wall, uh, Kelly Eco, our uh, buddy who covers the Rockets for The Athletic, interesting quote from him, John Wall, when you have certain guys that don't want to buy in, it's hard. Again, yeah. could be talking about Daniel House. You, you know, you made, this, you made the point, Andy, um, that, that he left the podium without taking questions. Do we know for sure anybody had any? <laughs> You know who, by the way, I'll tell you who never did something like that over the hey! course of his career. Kirk Morrison. Kirk Morrison never did that when he was in the NFL. Kirk Morrison was a professional. Right. He wouldn't bail on his team, but he certainly wouldn't bail on his team in that type of you know. When you when you had your press when you had your press conferences, Kirk, where you said that your teammates weren't good enough and that you wanted out, yeah. you you stayed and took questions after that, correct? I mean, you're supposed to, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Is it the, um, I, I'm for some reason I'm when you guys speak of that, I think of uh, remember Dwight Howard's press conference with uh, was that Sam Van Gundy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Stan Van comes in there. Uh, he's he's giving a conference talking about Dwight Howard. 
and then Dwight <laughs> comes in and like gives him a hug. They, like, oh, what's up? Like, um, yeah, I'm actually talking about you right now. How you want to fire me as your head coach? Yeah, and, oh, yeah. and Dwight starts talking about it as all oh, these crazy rumors, not knowing Stan Gunny, Stan Van Gundy had actually confirmed them. Correct. Like when, when Kirk <laughs> used to throw his teammates under the bus at the podium, he would say this stuff and then say, "Look, if you have any questions specifically about who I mean and why they suck, right. I'm here. <laughs> Just yeah, one, I, one at a time, please. You know, right. we're, not, we're not animals. <laughs> How you no, been, man? I've been good, man. How you guys doing? Very good. Good. Yeah, good. Um, I mean, have you have you seen something like that where where a guy just yeah we're we're not good enough and my teammates suck and I kind of want and I really do want to leave like there's no confusion I want out like how do you walk back into a locker room after that yeah uh, I mean it's tough I mean I know I've been on some teams when I was with the Raiders I remember 2006 we went two and fourteen that was probably the hardest thing that I've know I've had to deal with as a professional. Uh, you only win two games out of 16 tries, fellas. That's that's very difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we knew that it was more of the coaching philosophy than it was the players. I think we realized how hard it is to get to the professional level, right? Coming through the high school, through college ranks, it's going to be tough to get to the, the NFL. And so it's like when I see bad teams in the NFL, right? People are like, oh, man, those guys are just bad. Like, I don't know if it's bad teams. Like I just say, it's just sometimes it's a lot of just bad coaching. And we've seen that before, maybe like this past year with like the Jets. Like the Jets weren't a bad team. They just, they just didn't believe in what the coaching staff was preaching. That's one of the reasons why they don't have a coaching staff right now currently because I thought their players were actually pretty good. <laughs> like with a good with – like with a good coaching staff, how many games did the Jets win this year? I think they're at least a six to seven win team, right? Okay. I mean, you know, not like they're terribly. I mean, with these drastic change, but I still think that they're win. No, that's, a that's a yeah. big difference. That's a big difference. Because honestly, um, coaching can get you, you know, six to ten wins, right? And then players are what puts you over the top, right? Kansas City has the mix of both, right? I'm not surprised why. The Kansas City Chiefs went 15 and one, I believe, right? 15 1, 14 and 2, I forget. I think 14 and 2. That's right. They uh, lost week 17, which didn't matter for them. But you, you think about it like they had a coaching staff that returned after winning a Super Bowl. That was number one. And then they had the greatest, I mean, the, great, the best quarterback probably in the NFL currently in terms of future and all around talent. And they got good players. So for me, that like, like when you see talent and and like and coaching, yes, that's going to get you over the top. Sometimes, like Sean McVay, no matter what, there. If we're talking Rams only, they'll never be a six and ten type of team. They just they're they're too well coached to be six and ten. They'll always be right either at five hundred or above five hundred. That's interesting you say that, Kirk, because there's a lot of other sports, you know, the the NBA in particular, but I think also people talk about this with baseball, where they'll say ultimately it's talent that's going to be that great separator, and then the coach would put you over the top, Correct. as opposed to the way you're describing this, where it's actually in the NFL, coaching can really lay that foundation, and then the talent puts you over the top. Yeah. What makes it more specifically that way in the NFL? I think what makes it uh, that is just honestly, coaching is really a belief in a system, right? Everybody has to, it's 11 equal parts. Everybody has to do their job, right? If you're all doing your job, then 
I think that's the easy part. And coaching sometimes puts puts guys in the right spot. Um, I, I think maybe a basketball reference would be like the Spurs, right? And the Spurs were always a team that didn't have the they're the one weren't the most talented team. Let's be honest; they would have a couple key guys, but not the most talented team. But yet, pretty good. I mean, they, you know, they, you know, Tim Duncan yeah. and Manu yeah. and those guys, and they right. were they, they were happy. But it was like two or three make your of your stars, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean. You have guys around them, but it was all part of a system. It was part of the scheme. It was part of of kind of. Um, of everybody believing in what's going on. And I think when you have that common denominator, uh, coaches, to me, like, they know how to get the most out of their players, the best coaches, right? They're usually the the best motivators, too. Like, there are certain guys who I wanted to always be coached by, right? Growing up, I was a big, you know, Bill Parcells fan, you know, Mm -hmm. Bill Cower. Like, those are the types of coaches I'm like, man, I would love to play for those because I know what kind of motivators they are. That it wasn't about just you as a player. They wanted to motivate the group, make sure that everybody's playing for the common good. And honestly, once you have that as a coaching staff, I think the rest is kind of easy in terms of X's and O's. So what happened? Like we have granted LA asked the question right now like, about Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl two years ago and now yeah. he's out. What <laughs> happened there? Other than Carson Wentz seems to have forgotten how to play quarterback. Yeah, the uh, economics of the NFL went out again, right? When you talk about the economics of the NFL, um, when you owe a guy like Carson Wentz sixty plus million dollars or more <laughs> over the next couple seasons, um, guaranteed, yeah, it's either the coach or the player. And in economics of NFL owners, billionaires, regardless, of billionaire owners. Are just they're not giving away sixty-five million dollars. Like, no, we we'll rather give away the coach and start over and figure it out from there. So kind of drew his line in the sand a little bit. And I think that's why Philadelphia had to go a different way because there was no way that they're getting out of that contract. So now what do you do? You bring in a new head coach and you set up what well, I got my air quotes up here, right? For a competition. At quarterback, right? Yeah. So 2021 is going to be about a competition in Philadelphia between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts, right? That's the only way that you can spin it. Because look, if you're Carson Wentz's agent, he wants to be out of there. So, hey, well, look, how about we fire the head coach? We bring in a new head coach and now a new system, new scheme, and you he can battle it out. So I mean, is it a competition between him and uh, Jalen Hurts to see who can find the facility? Because if if Jalen Hurts (laughs) finds it, he wins. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, how could you possibly look at what Jalen Hurts did? Like, what Jalen Hurts did is, I think, more impressive than anything we've seen from Carson Wentz. Like, even when Carson Wentz was at his best, I think Jalen Hurts was more impressive. Yeah, Jalen... Um, I'm just thinking if I was a player on the Philadelphia Eagles, what I saw from Jalen, I was like, uh, that dude looks different than what was mm-hmm. out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Jalen looks like what the new quarterback of the NFL looks like. And Carson Wentz, um, it's safe to say that we've been trying to see the Carson Wentz of 20. 20- 17, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like, even... We went to get that performance back, right? right? Like, to, to clarify, uh, the Nathan Mark on the chat is saying that Wentz would have won MVP if he wasn't injured in that Rams game, mate, because he's from New Zealand. Right. Like, 
I'm not even saying that Wentz is terrible. I mean, he's right. he's had a couple bad years, but at his best, Wentz wasn't a terrible quarterback. I'm just saying what we've seen Jalen Hurts do, right. I think it's just better. Correct. It, it's been better, but I think it's still we're still trying to get back it's to terrible. that 20. But we're trying to get back to that 2017, right? We're trying to get back to that 2017 Wentz, and we just mm-hmm. have not seen it. Like everybody, oh, he was supposed to be an MVP, and this is that. Well. Even had he won the MVP, guys, right? We're still trying to get back, or we're still trying to see that Carson Wentz again, which we haven't seen the last two seasons. And so now it has to start all over. And the people of Philadelphia are like, well, the guy, Jalen Hurts, looks a little better now. Like, why don't we go with this guy? Because in, in this league, it's a, what have you done for me lately? Me lately, exactly. Yeah. It, it is not like, oh, well, 2017, he was MVP candidate. Yeah, boy, in 2020, he stunk. Right. So <laughs> I just, I, this is, this is one of these things. Cause like, obviously, I mean, I am, I, I, I grew up, I played football in high school. You know, right. I grew up watching it, but I do not know football in the way that you know football and the way the professionals know this and do this. But there are like, that thing where you just kind of look on the turn on the TV and it's like, as if you never have seen the sport before and go, well, that guy's doing something a little different. Like that's a real thing. And you look around the league, you know, Justin Herbert, who doesn't run around all over the field, but you know, is mobile, but you know, stands there and has like an arm and does things. You're like, okay, that guy looks a little different. Like that's a, this is a real thing. It's not the be all end all metric, obviously, but like that makes a difference. Like, correct yeah i mean i think the best uh test for a player is the eyeball test obviously um i know we live in a fantasy football world right and so we all have fantasy teams right it's most important football by the way (laughs) let's be honest about this well i didn't make the playoffs andy so don't worry about me right like just don't even talk to me when it comes to fantasy this year this was probably the worst year i've had in fantasy okay but I think, but you think about it in a fantasy football world. That's what we're like. Oh my God, he he had all this many points and this many yards, and he threw mm-hmm. for this many touchdowns. But when you watch it in a full game, a full live setting, you're like, this guy didn't do anything in the first half, and he had a bunch of garbage yards in the second half um, when his team was down by three points because he had actually three turnovers to start the game. And so that's why sometimes I always say, let's look at the totality. Do they pass the eyeball test first? And the eyeball test usually comes from teammates. Like I've been there before where I've been in a locker room and I've seen a guy get drafted. Okay. And I've seen a guy get drafted after him and they go both go out there. And I'm like, uh, the guy who got drafted after looks better than the guy we drafted ahead of him. So why are we playing the guy ahead of him? You get what I mean? It's like, it, it, it doesn't look right. So you have to not only let your teammates see it first, but once you got that belief, you're good to go. <laughs> John, John Witherspoon wants to know is that Matt Nagy on the top right no it is not but if you'd I like to come it. on the show he's more than welcome um, just, just so to make it clear you said yeah. something uh, Kirk that is um, a perfect segue for people like me who uh, people who watch this show know have been a little golf skeptical you talked about Carson Wentz and like you yeah. know everybody's kind of looking back to like to that Carson Wentz of 2017 to some degree, I feel like we're in that space right now a little bit with Jared Goff. And I, under, I mean, let's even setting the, the thumb aside for a minute, like we're in that space where we're kind of looking back to what he was in the Super Bowl season, maybe skipping over some things from last year yeah. and a lot of things from this year. Um, 
you know, Wentz has done golf a favor, I think, a little bit by just falling <laughs> apart. So yes. we don't notice some of these things. But where is where is Jared Goff in in this sort of growth and development equation? Wow, it's a great question, man. Great question. Um, and obviously, um, I guess this can be a long winded answer because uh, we're up. Go ahead, we, got we, got, yeah. <laughs> we got time to kill, right? Um, but okay, I'll go back to. 2015 because 2015 i believe was the um james winston marcus mariota draft right where tampa bay went one and then tennessee titans went two they drafted two of these quarterbacks and remember how they were supposed to be in the league 15 plus years they're going to be starters for a long time and you know tampa bay was finally found their quarterback same with tennessee with mariota and Three years into it, you kind of had that thing going like, um, this may not be the long-term option, right? And so, you know, with Jameis Winston, they didn't offer these guys the long-term contract. They gave them the fifth-year options, but they didn't give them necessarily that contract or that reward of the contract that you usually get for a guy who's number one or number two. So I, I kind of preface that by starting it off saying that Tampa Bay – and Tennessee both got out of that contract, out of those contracts, and went elsewhere, right? Tennessee went with Tannehill, okay? And we all know that Tampa Bay went with Tom Brady, right? And both of those teams made the playoffs. And then you look at the other side of it, because in 2016, the Rams took Jared Goff, and the Eagles took Carson Wentz. So you go one and two in those situations, we were so hungry. Like I think the Rams and the Eagles were so hungry to say, hey, we got the quarterback right three years in. Let's give them the big deal. Let's give them the big deal. And we're like, okay, but you didn't have to do that. Why did you do that? And I think it's also the landscape of the NFL, mm -hmm. looking at Kirk Cousins, looking at some of these other guys like Dak Prescott. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's going to do what? Like, you're going to the, the price tag is going to get higher and higher. So let's do it now. So this is like the like the the dilemma that the Rams and the Eagles were in, more more specifically the Rams. So they reward Jared Goff. And then what happens? Um do I think that they're comfortable with the contract right now? <laughs> <laughs> Funny, that's not what Brian asked. But, yeah. but, but go on, Kirk. No, 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 no. It's, Is that a hypothetical? If, if you're not asking rhetorically, I'll answer. I'll say no. <laughs> no, they are not. <laughs> yeah. Are they comfortable there? Like, because you're asking, where is Jared Goff? And I'm asking, do you think that the Rams are comfortable with where he's at right now? I would say. He's not had the season that we've had that he's played before, right? A couple mm -hmm. seasons ago, he's played well. It's not like he's been that that bad. But what happens is criticism is allowed when you're making the top tier dollar in the NFL. Because I've always learned that when you make more, you have to do more. Okay. And has Jared Goff done more with the talent around him? Has he done more or has he done less since he's been rewarded the contract? Right. When you get get those big contracts, you're supposed to elevate your roster. Has right. he elevated his roster? Right. And this is just an honest criticism. This is not saying that Jared Goff is bad. 
I'm saying I think he's a decent quarterback, good quarterback, but does he elevate the roster or does the roster just stay right where it's at? Where I look at Patrick Mahomes, right? You look at Deshaun Watson. We can honestly say that with the contract that those guys got very similar into the you know money per year, have they elevated their roster? And you would say, yeah. I mean, you're seeing guys having Pro Bowl type seasons. I mean, Brandon Cooks had over a thousand yards this year. Uh, I think with uh, you know Tennessee. So, I mean, I'm sorry with uh, Houston with yeah. Houston. So that's what I'm saying. Like I've seen other guys uplift their roster, and with Jared Goff right now, it's kind of just tapered. Yeah, you know, you're you're getting at something, Kirk, that I, I've been a broken record about this in particular for the last couple of years, but I, I, I really think it doesn't get talked about enough in terms of where the Rams are at now, where the offense has been the last couple of years, but also by extension where Goff is. The guy, when the Rams were at their best, the guy that was elevating the offense more than anybody wasn't Goff. It was Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley was the, Todd Gurley what was was what made that offense special and what made them so impossible to stop and I think also what made them so unique because you know he was this incredible runner who was also incredible catching passes out of the backfield right. he was also a really good uh pass blocker correct so you could have him on the field literally for four downs if if you were going to play four downs mm-hmm. so and, and guys like that are really unusual. And so much of what Sean McVay did was built around Gurley's skill set. And I, I think it made everybody, including Goff, better. And they've never come close to replacing what Gurley provided, which makes sense because at the time, Gurley was the best offensive player in the league. So that's in and of itself really, right, but, really. But, I think the, I, but the, for me, the, the issue there becomes, Kirk, that Okay, Gurley's gone, and you—if right. if, if you would want Goff to be able to step no, up and of course, I, I, I'm, not disagree, I'm not disagreeing with that. My what I'm what I'm saying is, at his best, I don't mm-hmm. think Goff was the guy that was elevating everybody to begin with. Correct. Nor was he actually Correct. asked to. For a while at Goff's no. best, he wasn't even asked to be doing that. He was just supposed to be playing well. No, and that's that's a great point, and I think See, even Brian, in- it's a great point. Yeah, well, that was great too. And I already no. asked. Kirk said yeah, I asked. Yeah, wasn't that great? <laughs> no, but I think it's it's a great point that that has to be said though. I, in 2020 was the first year that Jared Goff truly this is what this was his offense. Like this was, we forget that this was actually the first year without Ty Gurley, and the Rams did have success. A lot of it goes into I think Sean McVay realizing from 2019 that when you have only one guy in the backfield, it's very difficult if he's not at 100% or he's not that bell cow that you want. And you look at the team last year that won the division where they had four or five guys running out there. And I'm talking about the San Francisco 49ers. Remember they had um, – not uh, they had – who was it? Tevin Coleman, Brita, um, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson. I mean, they kept rolling guys out there, and the offense kept rolling. A guy would get banged up, but here was one guy right behind him. And then you look at where the Rams were. Ty Gurley was not 100% last year, and the offense suffered. There was nobody behind him. There was no dynamic running back. So in this season, having those three guys, uh, whether it was Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, and Malcolm Brown, you actually had three viable backs that ran the ball well. And so golf just had to just be right after that but he kept turning the ball over 
my big thing or biggest concern with the Rams offense this year was this was also the first year without a legitimate speed burner on at the wide receiver position under Sean McVay. Like remember year one, he had Sammy Watkins. Now I don't care what Sammy Watkins did in terms of catching the football or not. I knew that if he was on the field, you better have a safety in the middle of the field because he will run past anybody. Okay, then they trade for Brandon Cooks the next two years. And we know Brandon Cooks, he's, he's good at doing what? Running past people. So that guy was now traded in the offseason. And so sometimes you say, well, he was making too much money. It didn't help the cap. Those guys had a purpose within the offense because that's what the Rams were missing. Right. And that's one of the reasons why teams just really started to say, you know what? No one is going to run past us. We are going to play a ton of man-to-man and force Jared Goff to have to handle pressure, make some things happen off schedule, and that's just not where his skill set is truly at. We, um, You have to ask a question like this, I think is indicative of the conversation we're having. I mean, Goff's thumb, not sure where it came out of it. I give him a lot of credit for playing through it last week. It was clearly right. not. I, I, I want to say really this, by the way, about Goff, because I think it's worth mentioning. It's something we've seen <laughs> since his rookie year. Say what you will about his skills, whether he's regressing, whatever. That dude's tough. Jared Goff is legit. He's a tough guy. He's missed one game due to injury in four and a half seasons. Right. Like he, he and we've seen because he – can't really move he often he often gets clobbered take a hit but yeah, like yeah. you know it was it, it's it, i don't know how much more his thumb can heal in a week i don't know what wolford's status is coming off that stinger and and right. and lord knows sean McVay is not going to tell us between now and saturday but like it, let's assume each guy is relatively healthy right I I'll, we'll ask, I'll ask two questions. Who would you start? But also I think, you know, just for the conversation we're having that you have to ask the question, answer mm-hmm. some of the questions that we were talking about with Jared Goff, because it shouldn't be a question. Right. Um, but like, you know, you factor in, it's supposed to be really effing cold in green Bay this weekend. And Goff isn't a, hasn't been a good cold weather quarterback yeah. um, when he has a thumb. Um, so if you don't you know, have, which I could not believe really quickly yeah. that McVeigh or, uh, oh yeah, answer this question. <laughs> that sneak. Yeah. I could not believe they called that. <laughs> I mean, like putting yeah. aside the fact your your quarterback just had pins put in his thumb, yeah. and you'd like not to see it in some scrum where it can get banged up or you know, people yank on. I mean, you've talked yeah. to us before about stuff that goes on in that scrum. It's it's mm-hmm. ugly, but yeah. also too, like. This is not a guy who hangs on to the ball all that well when his thumb is 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would, Dick Buckus would have bit that thumb off. Clean off. I'm just saying. Kirk Morrison would have bit yeah. that thumb off. Sean McVay was lost in the sauce, man. <laughs> I mean, he was he was, he was was caught up in the moment, right? When you're you caught up in the moment. You, yeah, like when, you, when you're caught up in the moment, you're just like, all right, just do this. And you're like, oh. And after you're like, that was a bad idea. Right, you know what I mean. Were like, you surprised they didn't have a that Bortles wasn't active? I was shocked. No, I, I wasn't shocked. Um, okay. I think that remember Blake Bortles was signed this week, so I don't know how many plays that you would have him go out there and run. I mean, knowing that you only get forty six men on a roster, right? And think about it. I thought it was good that they didn't activate him because 
who would have thought Aaron Donald would have went down in the second half? But the Rams had enough depth along their defensive front okay. that more guys got in, and they were able to go the whole second half without Aaron Donald, and yet they still created pressure on Russell Wilson. They still made it very difficult. But just think if you were had to take away one of those defensive linemen that activated third quarterback who possibly wouldn't play, you know what I mean, who just got there this week. And I know he was there on the Rams last year. But he was an emergency guy if needed. But Golf's thumb had healed enough that, hey, emergency, we can put him in. We can, hey, we're going to need you to be a tough guy. And he showed that, man. He had to be a tough guy. I just don't know if that QB sneak was something that you should have been doing, Coach Big Vay. You can't oh, no, be doing no. that. But, <laughs> but like, so typically, I'm sorry, but like typically, who is the 46? Like, where does the 46th guy? play is it an extra defensive lineman is it an extra offensive yeah and where is that where did the, who did they well, feel I even I, I even go a step further so if we're talking just the Rams the Rams have a 42 man roster okay okay so think about it. they have 42 guys between two positions so I bring that up because it's a 46 man roster but we know Jake McQuay Johnny Hecker Matt Gay and Simba Webster are your four specialists okay those are your four specialists so those guys are active on game day. Now between your offense and your defense, you've got 42 players, right? And that's all you got. And so you think about having big Andrew Whitworth come back and possibly what the Rams had to go through with that. You know what I mean? Like would Whitworth hold up now? Do we dress an extra offensive lineman or do we not? Like how many offensive linemen do you go in? I mean, you start to do the breakdown. I mean, I think the Rams had – I want to say two backs available. I think it was Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown. So you got two backs, two quarterbacks. That's four. How many receivers are you going to have active? You know what I mean? Like five or so. Now you're at nine and then the offensive linemen, two tight ends. Like It is literally, I saw a, a head coach that I had in the NFL. I remember he had a meeting. That, uh, we had a team meeting and afterwards I came up to talk to him. And I saw just the what that what that board looks like. There's a board in the head coach's off or the team meeting room or the the head coach's team meeting room. And yeah, I mean, because you got to go off who's injured, who's not, possibility, who's a hundred percent, who's not, who's questionable, who's doubtful. So sometimes it is a difficult position for teams to be in in terms of who do you suit up. I mean, I'll put it like this. Tampa Bay last weekend in a wild card round made Ronald Jones active. Okay. He was on that 46 man active day roster. He hurts his quad in the pregame. Pregame. Well, guess what? You're oh. stuck with him. Yeah. You're stuck. I was he, wondering why he wasn't yeah. playing, actually. He, he, I didn't hear that. Injured the quad in pregame. So guess what? That's it. It's not like, okay, we want to take him off and put somebody else on. Like, no. Nope. Now you're playing with 45 guys on the active day roster for Tampa Bay. I'm glad I asked you this because, I mean, I know, you know, Rams Twitter, NFL Twitter was like, what the hell? Because if Goff you know, breaks his thumb, like Johnny Hecker's your quarterback. Right. But this 
This is why I asked the question. Do you think uh, when Wolford went down and when Wolford went down and golf was initially struggling, Hecker was getting all up in McVeigh's ear, like I'm over here, coach. Come on, come on, get no, me in, buddy. He would have been hanging that ball off. Trust me, he, would, <laughs> he wouldn't have been doing more than that. There wasn't probably, a tiny part of you that wanted to just see what that would look like. No, that, that would have been ugly. Had. Trust me, I saw it earlier this season between uh, the Denver Broncos and New Orleans Saints. It was, pre- I called it the Army Navy game. Remember when Denver had a uh, Kendall Hinton? Start uh, start at running yeah, back. Exactly. That poor that he managed to complete one pass yeah. was incredible. Like I that's believe, incredible. Yeah. I believe his cleats are going to the Hall of Fame for some <laughs> just just that moment. I mean, that's if twenty twenty was a football game, that was that was the one. No, yeah. New Orleans at Denver. But but we get back to the question though here. Like yeah. so, you know, let's assuming you know Goff is healthy ish. You know, sort of his thumbs better, but not perfect. Um, and you have his track record, Correct. and you have Wolford, who is you know better but not perfect, with basically no track record. Right. And you could pick who would you start? Well, I honestly thought that golf should have started last week. Okay. I'm, I'm still on the golf train. I'm not getting off the train. Yeah, he's had a uh, a couple of bad games here and there, but this is still the guy that led you to the Super Bowl just excuse me a couple seasons ago. I, I just love that golf has been in those big moments. And the one thing that some teams or some people may have as a criticism for golf to me is I love about the kid. You mentioned his toughness already, but sometimes I never know if Jared Goff is up or down. I mean, I don't know if he's thrown for three touchdowns or three interceptions. He keeps the same demeanor. Right. So as frustrated as he may be, three interceptions. <laughs> but just think about it. Last week, um, I, I, I told people the week 17 game for Jared Goff may have been the best point in his career because for the first time he had to sit back and watch what it looks like. Right. You guys ever done that before where you just kind of sit back and you just watch what it looks like. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. look, I'm, you know, when you're trying to teach your kids with the at home learning, right? Like I'm trying, I'm doing all these different things. And then one day I sat back and watched the teacher actually teach and you sit of the pace that you have to use, right? Um, the words that you have to use, right? Just how prepared that you have to be. And so it's like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna try that next time. And so Jared Goff sat out week 17, then was thrown into the game. He played probably one of his better games of the season. And why was that? He didn't throw an interception. He took care of the football. He looked smart. And then he made plays that he didn't in week 16, remember the one where he ran out to the side and he threw the interception to Jamal Adams in week 16? Well, this time he said, yeah. you know what? I'm going to run and take off and get as many yards and get out of bounds. Then we saw him step up in the pocket, get up to the line of scrimmage and decide to dump it off to Cam Akers. And they had the big play as well. Yeah. So I saw some growth. And with that growth, I think that McVay, it's hard to tell me that, OK, we're going to go back to Walford. Like, no. You have to go with golf this game. But that being said, I would love a package of plays for John Walford. I would love to see him in a third and short, third and medium type situation. I love what, obviously, Jacoby Brissett is for the Indianapolis Colts. I love what Taysom Hill is for the New Orleans Saints. John Walford can be that for the Rams. And I can trust that kid in a third and short, third and medium. Or if golf doesn't have it, Hey, let's go to John Wolfer because you know golf's thumb is too stiff today in that twenty degree weather. Is this a game? Because you know the Packers haven't scored 
under, I'm looking it up here, under 30 points. They've been under 30 one time in their last seven games. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can go through all their offensive numbers. They're incredible. You do the opposite with the Rams, best defense and scoring. But, you know, all these, right. you know, immovable object, irresistible force kind of things. Devontae Adams has more touchdown passes than the Rams have allowed this year, yeah. that, which is a crazy stat. Yeah. That's this, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous, by the way. Only yeah. him, Randy Moss has the record for most in the season, but Devontae Adams did that in two less games. 14 games, <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. If, you, if you're looking at this, you know, obviously the offense, the Rams uh, defense, which is the Green Bay offense, is a is obviously a big deal. Right. Is it as are we are we ignoring the other half of it though? Is it more about that side of it, or whether or not the Rams can actually put up enough points um, against Green Bay's defense? Brian, I don't know because if you would have told me the Rams would have put up thirty against the Seattle Seahawks last week, I would have laughed. I was like, no, this is going to be a game in the low twenties, right? And and the Rams put up thirty plus points. Um, it could be an offensive explosion. And can the Rams play that type of game? Yeah, it's in them. But do they want to? No, I don't think so. I've been burned too many times by going with, oh, the high-scoring offense. Yeah, go with those guys. And then all of a sudden, that number one defense, they're number one for a reason, right? They go out and they play well. I, I go back to the Super Bowl a couple of years with the Rams. If you would have told me that game would have went down to a 13 to three, like I'm like, come on, please. It's funny to score a, touch, people, a touchdown. Like you got to go forget yeah. in that game that Tom Brady spent most of it not getting much going either. Correct. Like there's, there's a lot of focus on, you know, the Rams, their lack of offense, and, you know, everything goes back to golf. And, and, and fine, that's the right. burden of being a franchise quarterback. But Tom Brady spent three quarters of that game basically struggling as much as golf. Correct. Like that, that defense has been good for a few years, and especially this year, there have been question marks about you know a guy like Corey Littleton leaving, and then Brandon Staley never having this job before. Right, Kirk, man, they're they are one of the most disruptive. Just like when you watch them, mm -hmm. what what stands out in terms of the why that that they're like this? Man, it's um, I. <laughs> I think the why for me is I always look at the totality of everything first, right? So I look at the way the defense was built because I look at the 2020 version compared to the 2019 version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And the 2019 version under Wade Phillips, the day one starters, just to always like to remind people, the starters in 2019 were Akib Tlaib, Marcus Peters, Eric Weddle, Clay Matthews, Dante Fowler, Corey Littleton, Nikhil Roby Coleman was your nickelback. All those guys are gone. Yeah. They, they're not there. So you're replacing some big names, guys who are still making plays in this league, got some big-time contracts. They're not there. And so the Rams' depth was tested, and they had to go out and believe in what they've done and how they've drafted now, here they go with Darius Williams, who had an outstanding year, who started opposite Jalen Ramsey. They made the Jalen Ramsey trade last year to be that star cornerback. They did that. Troy Hill was a guy who we all remember was just a co college free agent they signed, and he was a special teamer. He ended up becoming, you know, one of their best slot cornerbacks. Okay. And then you drafted two outstanding uh, safeties out of college. Your sixth rounder, Jordan Fuller, becomes. 
the best one who plays right away. And then you still got Terrell Burgess, who was injured to go along with John Johnson. I'm sitting here going, okay, well, what about the linebacker position? You got to figure out the linebacker spot. Well, Micah Kaiser has been down for the last six weeks and we haven't even talked about him. Now he did make a play on special teams last week, but it's been the group of Kenny Young and Troy Reader, right? Of those guys making plays. And in that defensive front, I mean, let's be honest. Like what I, okay, this is a good comparison. Could you ask me the why? And, and this is the why of the defense, Andy. And what makes Aaron Donald so special? What Aaron Donald does is what we expect from Jared Goff to uplift the unit, to make everyone around you better. Aaron Donald on the field makes that defense better. He makes Sebastian Joseph Day better, Morgan Fox, right? Leonard Floyd was a cast off and all of a sudden he's a 10 plus sack guy in the NFL because of Aaron Donald. Okay. That's the why is that they have two of the best players at the position in the NFL, hands down like that. That's two. And then you can start to like put guys around them. It's similar to the Lakers, to be honest, it's, the greatest player in LeBron. You have the next player in Anthony Davis. You bring those guys together and the guys around them just do their part, do your part. And then there's guys who have stepped up and hungry to be out there. But when you got the confidence of the big brothers out there in the twin towers, like of Ramsey and Donald, I just got to do my job. And that's what these guys are doing. It's just unbelievable. I mean, they like, there, there are times you watch them and they remind me of like those Ravens teams with Ray mm-hmm. Lewis and Ed Reed. Just, you know, beyond being great at stopping teams or whatever, there's that disruption. There's that chaos. Like they, yeah. they seem like they would be really, really difficult to try to scheme against. Like they they, they seem and you, I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, because mm-hmm. there, there's stuff that's happening that I know you understand. I, I've it's actually really fun when I've been in the press box watching a game with you, like and being able to actually say, "Hey, Kirk, everybody should be allowed to watch a game next to Kirk one time." Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a great, it's great so much game. fun. It is. I mean, I Travis has Travis Rogers, you co-host with. I, I mm-hmm. watch Travis ask you questions. It's an awesome resource, but they're they seem just really unpredictable when they're out there. It, right. it, like. It doesn't seem like you're saw everything they do. To Andy's point, I saw a breakdown where they put Donald at left end and right end exactly 75 times on each side. He's played left tackle and right tackle. Like the splits are are within like one or two. It's like he's never in the same place like this for the same amount of time. Right. Well, it's because they have uh, not only faith in the system, but it's Brandon Staley understanding that he can affect the way offenses block Aaron Donald and who gets the free guy, right? So if we're talking from a defensive line standpoint, everybody just wants to get the one-on-one. That's all it is. Everybody just wants to get one-on-one because in the NFL, you're supposed to beat one-on-one. That's what you get paid to do. Now, double teams and chip blocks, you know, hey, look, that's, you know, grown men can beat that. Like, that's Aaron Donald. But when you have him line up on one side – it creates opportunity for others. And so that's why you're starting to see the pressure come because if Aaron doesn't get there, we're seeing the other guys get there. We're seeing the other guys make plays. There was a game a few weeks ago. I don't, I don't remember exactly who they played, but 
Brockers made a really good play. He he had to work pretty hard against the guy that was blocking him. Then he ended up looping back around and he gets a sack. Right. It was all it was awesome effort by Brockers, who I think is actually a pretty underrated part of the defense. Absolutely. Yeah. But then I saw in the replay, I'm like, oh, okay. There were three guys on three Aaron guys Donald. On Aaron Donald. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not trying to take away anything Brockers did because again, he won his matchup. Yeah. He had to work his ass off. But it is helpful when three guys are occupying you know, one of your teammates. I, I think, too, you have that. But then you also have, when I talk about confidence and belief, like last week kind of sums up where the Rams defense is. And it was the play by Darius Williams. I, I, thank you. I, I, go, yeah. go ahead. It, I, was I the, it was the interception by Darius Williams on a screen pass. That did not happen in 2020 in the NFL, by the way. Yeah. That it just that 100 wide receiver yeah. screens were run this year across yes. the league. None of them were intercepted. That is a, that is a guy who did his homework. That is a guy who is confident. Those those plays don't happen in the NFL. They don't because a lot of guys are fearful of what may happen. But he read it. He saw it picked it off and it was a touchdown like it's and that changed the tide of the game too for the ram but it goes back to the confidence that the whole group is playing with right now is that a coaching thing because you know like i said like i i and i i this is i think i picked this up on the ringer um but they they it might be that or the athletic one of the two and i apologize mm-hmm. for not remembering but they seattle had run that play twice this season Twice. Right. So it's like, you know, that's not, you know, they've been in that formation two times. They ran the same play twice when they ran it in that formation, but it's not like, you know, they're in that seven times a game. And the Lane right. Kiffin bubble screen. Right. I mean, it's it, the Lane Kiffin, <laughs> a blessed memory. Right. Everybody so knows what like, I'm talking about. It would, oh, yeah. It would be easy to maybe recognize it, but not, you know, see it right away. Is that a function of the coaches passing along stuff to the player as well, or is that just Darius Williams being super dialed in, or is it like both? Uh, I think it's Darius Williams being dialed in. I think it was honestly – I think I give the credit to Jalen Ramsey. Why is that? Because Jalen – if you ask Darius Williams, he tells you, Jalen Ramsey has made me a better player. J- Jalen Ramsey has made him, and I, and then he also credits Akeem to lead Marcus Peters, right? I know they may not be on the team, but it, right. you know it, it's the thing of scared money don't make money, right? We've seen a guy like Marcus Peters is a guy who gambles, and you he'll give up some, but man, he'll make some big ones. And you're like, all right, I get it, okay, cool, he made the big play, that's fine. But I think with Darius Williams, that confidence that he's gotten from those other guys is like, just go do it, go make the play. He knows his opportunities are going to come, and I think the coaches can line you up, but that's just instincts. That's just understanding that, okay, why are they motioning DK Metcalf to this side, right? Like, mm, why wouldn't they leave him on the side where Jalen Ramsey was? Okay, let me just go up and do that. Right? Okay, yeah. He saw it, he read it, and he picked it off. I think that's it's a little bit of coaching as well, but I think more so it's the guys around him to give you that belief that, oh, yeah, I see it, just go get it. Speaking of uh, Jalen Ramsey and that entire <laughs> secondary, how do you go about trying to slow down, I won't even go to stop Devontae Adams? 
because he, he's just been otherworldly. Is it different than D Hop? Is it different than Metcalf? Like, what's going on there? So the best route runners in the NFL, um, to me, um, it, it's Devontae, Keenan Allen. Like, these are different guys. Um, I do want to see how do these guys, or Devontae specifically, how does he handle a guy like Jalen Ramsey? Because this is different. Jalen is a, such a physical guy that he loves the big physical DK Metcalf. Like, he likes the physical aspect of playing you at the line of scrimmage. People forget how big he is, Jalen Ramsey is. But now a guy who like Devontae, who watching him off the line is like poetry. It is, it is beautiful because he knows where he wants to go and he'll set you up. That's the chemistry that Devontae and Aaron Rodgers has right now to a point where Jalen can have great coverage. And then here comes Aaron Rodgers with that pinpoint back shoulder fade. And it's like, <laughs> like Jalen Ramsey's there, but the ball's behind Devontae thrown to the back pylon. Like you can't defend that. That's that's just it's too difficult. So it's going to be about how much that they're on the same side. Does Jalen travel with Devontae? I'm not necessarily scared of the Marquez, Valdez, Scantlings, and Alan Lazards. Now, Robert Tunyon may be a problem. Okay, the tight end watched him throughout the season. So Tunyon could be a problem for the Rams because they utilize him a lot. Uh, it's It was a, a travesty that he wasn't voted to the Pro Bowl. Um, he had over, what, 10-plus touchdowns, and yet they gave it to Evan Ingram. I'm, like, still, like, mind-boggled by that. But, um, but it, yes, the, the, the key matchup will be Ramsey on Adams, and it's, you know, how are they going to handle that? You know, do they, keep a, do they keep a safety over the top maybe to help? Or is it just going to be lock up? That's your man. If they have Ramsey basically just shadowing uh, Adams wherever he goes, lining up opposite, regardless of which side of the field, right. how much, do, how much, if at all, does that mess with the principles of your defense? To, like, how much do other guys have to adjust for that? Right. Does it does right. it matter at all too that, it, to the best of my understanding, Ramsey gets a fair amount of freedom anyway when, when he's on the field? No, I think again. Sorry, Brian. Um, that's a great point, Andy. Um, because <laughs> Kirk, no. it's been good having you. Um, you know, I hope your 2021 no, yeah. is better than 2020. Thank oh, you. No. <laughs> no, I love you guys, by the way. But I think we got to remember too that um, more. I, I did see this happen before, though. We saw that happen in the game at Arizona. I don't know if you guys remember that, but the tight end, um, was his name? Um, um oh, uh. Long-haired dude. Uh, uh, yeah, Born Meets World, right? I forgot his name. Uh, Arnold? Arnold. 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 Yeah. yeah, there it is. Arnold. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's how I remember because right. he sounded like one of the kids from Boy Meets World. But Arnold was the tight end, and this is where Jalen Ramsey was traveling with Hopkins, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's traveling. And so sometimes what that does, to your point, though, Andy, is that it messes up the rules. It messes up the normal rules of what you play. Hey, when guys are on their normal sides, right? When he's on left, I'm on right. This is what we do. And if we get this route combination, hey, we'll pass that off. He keeps this. But when a guy is traveling, you're like, okay, but if I get this route, I'm on this side. So it's a little bit different. And that's where you had a tight end, like in Arizona with Arnold. He was wide open. Literally nobody, because everybody's rules changed because Jalen was locked up on Hopkins. And then that's what the adjustment was by Brandon Staley. Like, Nuh-uh, we're not doing that. 
Mm-hmm. Go play your side. Go do that. Now, when we get into man coverage, then you got them, and that's easier. So that's going to be the, the kind of the dilemma that they're going to be in. And this is kind of where we, we forget, too. Matt LaFleur, we know, was Sean McVay's first offensive coordinator with the Rams. So he knows his offense inside and out. He knows Jared Goff inside and out, too. But at the for the most part, he knows some of the holes within the Rams' defense, you would think. But with Brandon Staley at the helm as a defensive coordinator, a lot different than when he was right. there. Totally different scheme of how they may utilize some of the guys up front. And so that may be the wash here in terms of philosophy and scheme. Is the flip side of that, though, true, though, as well, where, like, you know, the Rams can mess up their offense by trying to make sure that 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 Ramsey can shadow Devontae Adams everywhere in the field, but the Packers can do the same thing by trying to make sure that Devontae isn't opposite, you know, like you, you cut off half the field or whatever it might be. Does, it, does, does the same principle hold true on the other side? Um, It could be. It, it's it not could. a great point, Brian. No, no, no. no, it's, no, a good, no, no. it's a legitimate question. No, no, it's, it's a legitimate question. And, you know, for me, it's like when 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 you when you ask me a question, Brian, you know, my head starts spinning. I have all of these thoughts. And so <laughs> I don't know if you guys watched last night the national championship game between Alabama and uh, it was happening. And Georgia. I mean, so not Georgia, Alabama and uh, Ohio State. Well, last night, Devontae Smith set a record for yeah. most catches in a game by halftime. And it was Steve Sarkeesian, who was the offensive coordinator, who will now be the head coach at the University of Texas. He schemed up so many different ways for Devontae Smith to get open. Yeah, it's easy to have the best guy, right? And just say, hey, we're going to find ways to, you know, to get him open, to get him off Jalen Ramsey. Well, just remember that offensive coordinators have to find ways to keep this thing going. So <laughs> that's funny, but you got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they're going to find some ways. I, I don't think it's a situation of them going away from Ramsey at all. I don't think that's not in Aaron Rodgers nature too. Aaron Rodgers is a very confident individual and he doesn't care who's out there. You know, he, he's going to throw at you, you know, elite corner or not. He is going to stay within the, uh, the skits, the system, the scheme, that's just who he is. So, I mean, it's going to be part of the game plan. It's going to be part of the chess match. And that's what I'm always looking looking forward to see. Go, Go ahead, Andy. I was just uh, saying, well, like, this is it's, this is an interesting game for me for McVay. We, t- we sort of started on coaching, and maybe we, we'll finish it before we do predictions here. What is at stake for Sean McVay? Because, you know, he, I, I don't want to say the shine is off the apple, but, like, uh, he is slightly diminished, just at least in terms of like the idea that any Sean McVay can turn anything into 35 points a game and stuff like that. And, right. you know, he goes in and they have a disappointing season last year. Better, I think, a little bit better than expected this year. Right. They beat a favored Seattle team under very difficult circumstances. I want to say they're six. Are they six and a half point underdogs this week? Yeah, it's right about seven. Big, yeah, it's pretty, a pretty big, pretty yeah. big margin. Um, again, difficult circumstances. What what is sort of a, a, at stake for Sean McVay? What can come of him winning this one too in Green Bay? Uh, wow, that's a good question, Ryan. Because um, tied it up, 
<laughs> no, it really you is. You might have to go into overtime. How late can you stay? <laughs> <laughs> I can go for a while. Um, I think, no, honestly, it, it really is a good question because I don't know if Sean McVay is getting enough credit. I think mm-hmm. this season has been dedicated, not dedicated, but has been predicated on what? Defense. So it's more about Brandon Staley getting the credit because it wasn't like McVay's offense has taken right. them to the divisional round. This has been a team that's actually morphed into a defensive unit under Sean McVay in 2020. They're not scoring a 20, uh, you know, 30 points a game, right? So if the Rams win, is it going to be because of their offense? No, it's going to be because of what they do defensively. And so I would think that for me, Sean McVay will get the credit in that he was able to take a step back and realize who he is or what's the identity of his team. Whereas some people were just like, well, I'm an offensive guru and we're going to score points and we're going to, and then you turn the ball over four or five times. I think he gets that like, we can't do that. Let's be ball control. Let's let our defense allow. And I think he's actually playing for a low scoring play for a low scoring game. That's what I thought saw in Seattle, his play calling tells me that I don't want this thing to be in the thirties. I want this thing to be in the low twenties and us having an opportunity in the fourth quarter to either take the lead or hold on to a lead. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that like Sean McVay has an ego, just like anybody in his position will have one. Right. And he's phenomenal with the media, which to some degree means he's very good at playing the media game. Absolutely. He knows but, it well, but I think Sean McVay is also pretty genuinely secure in who he is. Mm-hmm. And he's very, he's very secure in bringing in people that he knows could get more credit than him. I mean, I, the biggest example I think we saw was early on when they first hired him, bringing in um, Wade Phillips, right. who could have easily, if things didn't work out for McVeigh, that's a guy that slides in easily as his replacement. And McVeigh, McVeigh brought in somebody that knew as much or more than him, high profile, didn't care. And I think, I, I think he's somebody that, gen, that pretty genuinely doesn't, care about the credit you know right in a way that all these guys care to some degree it's their profession it's their livelihood it's a business but i but i do think by these standards he's pretty good at just focusing on what really matters in the end yeah i think he understands that with success uh people want to take away from your success they want to take your culture away um you know brandon staley no one knew his name coming into the season now he's getting head coaching interviews Right. That's just how quickly things can change. Um, Even Sean McVay's quarterbacks coach, uh, Liam Cohen, is now the new offensive coordinator for Kentucky football. Right. So people are still plucking away at Sean McVay just the way they plucked away Matt LaFleur, the way they plucked away Zach Taylor. Right. They're trying to pluck away his defensive coordinator now. Like this is what happens when you are successful and you build that winning culture. Everybody wants to know, how are you guys doing it? What are you guys doing it? How do you train? How do you coach? What are you doing during the week? You know, how I mean, do you get the most? He wasn't even part of the, the tree. He was just like, I know him. I met Sean McVay once. Yeah, that's how it, honestly, that's how it works, though, um, with, with Sean. And that's why I think, you know, for me, I think he, they, they overachieved by winning on the road at Seattle. Like, mm-hmm. whatever happens in Green Bay, fellas, to be honest, uh, I think this team overachieved this year. No one had them, you know, where they were. They made it to the playoffs. 
And I, I keep reminding people had the NFL expanded to the seven or the, you know, the seven teams per conference playoff last season, the Rams would be playing the Packers last year. It would have been yeah. the number two versus the number seven. They would have been a playoff team. And you're talking about in four years, he's got four playoff appearances, two division titles and a Super Bowl appearance. Like that's just, that's, that's ridiculous. And so now he's been to the playoffs three years. Okay. He's gotten to uh, the divisional round now twice and already made a Super Bowl. I mean, to say that his roster was really where he wanted it at this year, I can say that they overachieved with what they were able to do this year. When we did our preseason stuff, I was like, I, I didn't think they'd be like well below 500, but I thought they could struggle. So you're right. They've been better than I thought they would be. Yeah. All right, so, Kirk, uh, recently I learned that you are a more honorable man than me and a, okay. and a more modest man than me because of the clear. But nonetheless, um, more integrity than me. Uh, Ice Cube recently tweeted out a photo from a concert uh, with him and Dr. (laughs) Dre. And it was uh, him sending his best wishes to Dre because Dre was recently hospitalized with an aneurysm. It seems like he's going to be okay. Correct. But in this photo, he is rocking a 52 jersey, which I saw. I immediately thought, oh, my God, Cube. He's given a tribute, a shout out to Kirk Morrison during his days with the Raiders. And I texted Kirk and asked him, am, am I crazy or is that Cube giving Kirk Morrison a shout out? And because yeah. Kirk Morrison, again, more honor than me, more integrity, uh, tech, <laughs> I would say yes. But unfortunately, it's a Mac jersey, Mac being Khalil Mac. The NFL switched to Nike in 2012. All Raider jerseys from 2014 on or more likely Mac jersey. A 52 Raiders Reebok is definitely me. LOL. You're so much more modest, Kirk, than I would have been. I would have absolutely been, oh, hell yeah, man. Cube's giving me a shout out. Of course he is. I'm Kirk Morris. I was on, I was on his beloved Raider. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I've met Cube uh, on the sidelines of many pregames. So, I know he's a big Raider fan, so I do know, and I can understand why you can make that connection, right? So uh, that West Side connection, look what I did there. Um, But but no, he, um, yeah, that's, I I wish that 52 jersey was mine, but it was, it it was Khalil Max. And so I get that a lot though. That's not the, you're not the first person who's asked me that like, oh man, I see uh, a 52 jersey, man. I, I, I bet it's yours. I said, is it Nike or Reebok? He said, uh, I think it's a Nike one. It ain't mine, brother. It ain't mine. Uh, <laughs> I, I was in the Reebok days when Reebok was still the uh, the uh, the uh, the the what is it? The outfitter, the, of the official the provider, official provider of the NFL, right? So, right, but let's do the. I'm pulling up the numbers. Like, I, I let's see here. So, there have been a fair amount of of 52s over the course of time. Let's figure out where you stack up, though. Um, a lot the of these people I've never heard of. So I, I, know, I know one of them you heard of. I know for sure because he's a uh, he made one of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history. Now, by is the way, it, and he actually did it for the Rams. Is this a fifty-two period or just with the Raiders? Just with the Raiders. Just, just with the Raiders. Okay, just making just Mike with Jones. The Raiders. Mike Jones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mike the, Jones. What we refer to in St. Louis as the tackle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the all right. Tackle. So I'm looking at this list, and you are at worst the. Th- Third, I'm going to say the third best, at worst, the at third worst. best 52 in in 
Oakland, LA, Las Vegas Raiders history. I, I mean, no disrespect. Khalil Mack is a very good football player. Yeah, he's um, still the only person to uh, make an all pro at two different positions. Defensive yeah, and linebackers. Good. Never been happened. Never, never happened before. I think Aaron Donald could have been a guy that could win it at defensive lineman and defensive end, but still never happened. Khalil Mack, the only person to be at an all pro first team at two different positions. Yeah. And so and, and then because Mike Jones made a Super Bowl saving tackle. Correct. He can be above you. But like Mark Merrill, he can suck it. (laughs) 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 Gary Weaver. Kiss it, man. (laughs) Do you buy J.R. Williamson? Yeah. By yeah, the way, don't bleep yourself, Jr. Larry Barnes. <laughs> I'm not here for that. All, as you were discarding all these different fifty two became before or after Kirk, are you hundred percent sure who all of them are? <laughs> no, no, no idea. <laughs> no, no some idea. Of them, no, some of them no. I have um, no idea who. I don't know who Mark. I, Floyd Rice. No. Don't know. Mm-mm. Jim Romano. I just think that Kirk Morrison was clearly a better player. I, I agree with you, Brian. I do. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. And like when you see Mario Saletto, you just punch him right in the face, right? And you're like, how can't believe you you disgraced fifty two in the way that you did. Well, it's it's similar to like my my college number thirty four. Like, no matter what, when I watch San Diego State, I always want to know who's wearing my number. Like, mm-hmm. and I hope and you don't so- want it to be some like. Yeah, you don't want it to be like the kicker, right? <laughs> <laughs> or or somebody putting it's like somebody putting in work. You know what I mean? Like, all right, yeah, I like that. You don't want to be like a by the way, I robes. Yeah, maybe maybe Mark Merrill. Mark Merrill doesn't necessarily need to suck it. I guess he isn't right. that. You know, he's probably a good guy. That know. was a little much. the NFL. It was a little harsh, but it was yeah. funny. It was <laughs> funny, but I'm just saying it was a little much. The guy made the NFL. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Um, all right, uh, who wins this weekend? Well, um, honestly, it's a tough one. I think the um, I'm really I'm really torn. I really am, fellas, because I think that the Rams really do have a a legitimate shot of going on the road and winning. Um, I know what the blueprint looks like. I saw it last year, um, you know, covering the NFL and covering that NFC championship game last year in San Francisco. Um, You know, I I saw them play ball control, ran the football, kept Aaron Rodgers on that sideline, and it was a really physical football game. Um, And, I'd never seen someone a team just get dominated like that on the ground. Have the Packers overcome that? Have they gotten better defensively? I think they've done it enough to where I, it's not going to be this big offensive explosion. I think it'll be a lot closer than obviously people are saying it's a seven point favorite. I think the Rams just may miss out by a little bit. You know, this is a one, you know, field goal game coming down the stretch. Um, I just think that they got one more play left in them than I think the Rams because they're going to hold on. Like, the defense is going to play well, I think. But I think they may make one more play than I think where the Rams can. And the weather will be an issue. You know, this it'll be 28 degrees. It is going to be cold. Um, for some California guys, man, what it was 70-plus today in Los Angeles. Yeah, like 80 degrees when the day they travel. Yeah. So it's – trust me, when I say it's a real thing, I've actually played – at four degrees at Lambeau. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was four degrees. You can look it up. I think this was in 07. 
um, the coldest game I know that I've played in. And I'm tell you this, I don't cry uncle meant much, but that was the, uh, yeah. yeah. You know who didn't play in four degrees in Lambeau field? Lyndon King. That's right. Lyndon King who wore 52 for three years for the Oakland Raiders. Um, really, really, that's not a four is not a temperature. That's yeah. it's not, that's not if the Rams win though, is it, does the sort of statistical profile kind of look like what it did last week where, you know, Cam Akers has 170 total yards and Goff is around 200, 250 or something like that. And it's, yeah, it is that sort of ball. The, the defense scores a touchdown. It, it, does it look similar? Yeah. It's, I mean, you're going to need the, some defensive scores. You're going to need some defense, some turnovers. You're going to have to get the ball back a couple of times, but we know Aaron Rodgers doesn't turn the ball over. So you getting an interception on Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that just doesn't happen. So you're going to need a couple fumbles. Um, I thought, it was like what, uh, like I said, going back to what the college football guys were saying, you know, Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler, like a field goal at times is almost is, is better than giving up a touchdown, right? It's just you want to break the scoring. So if the Rams are giving up threes and getting punts, that's great for them to keep it close. That's what I'm saying. That's what McVay should be preaching. We can beat this team, fellas. But it's about getting to the fourth quarter with it being within a score. And that's where the Rams can really take care. Cause that's when the defense turns it on. If they just if they start messing up early, it could be they're just not a team that's built to play from behind. They just that's just not who they are this year. All right. Before we let you go, I just want to let people see uh, a real man rocking a 52. Look at look at this right here. <laughs> that's the real one right here. <laughs> Returning a is that Lyndon King? <laughs> oh, that ain't Lyndon. That's me, brother. <laughs> no, that is Kirk Morrison. Yeah. Returning uh, interception against the Browns. Got an alternate angle right here, signed by Kirk Morrison. Yeah, he- you Look see the Reebok though. You see the Reebok above the yeah. number fifty-two on the shoulder though. See that Reebok? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had Nike shoes. Though. Actually, you know what? Go back to that picture because I do want to sh- shout out too though. Right? If you if you notice what cleats I'm wearing, can you can you guess the cleats that I'm wearing in that photo? Nike somethings. They, they look like Nikes. Yeah, the Kobe's Hirachis two K fours. Kobe Hirachi. So yeah, I was a. Uh, big Mamba guy too, right? I wanted to wear the Kobe, so I got some Kobe's and I wore them that year. Well, like and they put like I didn't know you could do that, where you could like Kobe shoes and they just like glue cleats on the bottom. How does that yeah, work? Yeah, so they they made they started making uh, similar to <clears throat> excuse me what they're doing now with all these Jordan brand cleats, right? Like huh. they start making cleats um, with what they look like as regular shoes, and so this was the first year I had saw a pair. I literally got on the phone with Nike, a couple people, I had to pull some strings, and I was at an event with one of the high Nike execs, and I said, I would love to wear the Kobe 2K4 Harajis, and he said, he's like, what is that? <laughs> like, he did, he had no idea. Like, he was like, okay, let me, you gotta, gotta let me know. Sure, Mr. King, whatever you need. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish he was, but he was like, no, nah, you know what? I, he's like, yeah, no. Um, he said, I didn't know we, we I, I know we were doing something in football. I didn't know to what extent because he was in like, you know, he's in the, the other side, he's in the, the business side of it. He's not necessarily with the product, but he was like, sure, give me a call on Monday. And I kid you not, I gave him a call that Monday and there was boxes being sent to the facility of all of these Kobe cleats. And 
that was 07. And that's when I had my career high four interceptions. I was defensive player of the month, the first the month of September, because I had like three interceptions in the first three games. Like it was crazy that what you those still have any of those? Oh, I have them all. Oh, that's awesome. I still got brand new pairs too. Good question. Would you wear the Montrez Harrell furry shoes? Uh, that you wore the other day? <laughs> I'm not wearing those, man. <laughs> I'll tell I you right. can't see them though. I like them. I, yeah. actually, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not a sneaker guy. Like it, that it, it would speak to why I really loved them. I thought they were great. We had a fun. But yeah. either way, I'll tell you who didn't get those uh, custom Kobe Hirachis. Philip Weaver. They wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have done that for him. Nope. That guy was garbage. Y'all really, really going down all the names. <laughs> you know who that is? Yeah. Well, I, like Philip Wheeler. Yeah, he actually played for. He played for Indianapolis, and he came over. So there's a couple guys who I, I was. Knew. I was actually intentionally trying to find guys that you wouldn't have overlapped with, like dudes from like 1972. Yeah, yeah. Like see now, now see, I, I wouldn't stumble upon a friend of yours or something. Well, you remember like Philip Villiano Villiano uh, was number like 41. So you remember that's when like they didn't care about what numbers you wore back in the day. Right. So. You know, that's what you had like Fred Blitnikoff wearing number 25, a <laughs> wide receiver. <laughs> it is. I will say I did it one time and even just in high school, yeah. returning an interception for a touchdown is like the coolest feeling ever. It is. It's really cool. It is. Uh, I've only done it once um, and it was in college. And the only bad part about that was I did it at Air, uh, no, at Wyoming, Laramie, Wyoming. It is the only touchdown that I said I return uh, by interception. And I watched the film the next day. And every one of my teammates literally put a finger in the air like, good job, and ran to the sideline. Nobody celebrated with me at all. So I ran, had an interception return for a touchdown. We sealed the game, and no one congratulated me. And so I get to the sideline. I'm like, yo, why nobody congratulate me? Everybody has oxygen tanks. So if you guys have never been to Laramie, Wyoming, <laughs> it is 7,200 feet above sea level. <laughs> they, they were like, and I literally had guys, I'm talking about like my best of friends said, look, I know that's a great career achievement. I love you, buddy. Good but job. My, but, hey, man, hey. I'm not running down there. <laughs> I will see you when you get back here. <laughs> I mean, literally, if you the tape the next day was because I had no, I'm like, man, nobody want to celebrate. He's like, man, <laughs> brother, I'm trying to get and it. Literally, all had oxygen machines that day. And oh, the next day, like we watched it. I mean, I saw literally guys, I mean, put a foot in the ground and head straight to the lot to the sideline. They were done. Like they didn't want to be on the field any longer. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I always know that when you play against like Denver, like altitude sickness is real. Awesome. <laughs> that, that is a great story. A real thing. That is really funny. Dude, it is always fun catching up with you, man. Thank Absolutely, you. Absolutely, man. Anytime, fellas. I appreciate it. And yeah, I'll give you a score, man. I, got, I think it's going to be 27 21. I think Packers okay. get the Rams 27 21. Uh, maybe 24. We'll see. I, I don't know how Matt Gay is going to kick in the cold as well. I just think that it's going to be a, a, a lot closer game than people give him credit for. Um, it's just hard. They got the MVP on their side and Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be tough. If the Rams win this one, 
like you said, where do we put Sean McVay? And I, I think it solidifies him as, you know, one of the game's best coaches regardless. Because this year, in a COVID year, what they've had to deal with, yeah. if, they, if they win this one, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that that is a it's a signature win. I, I would I would be I would be a team trying to trade for Sean McVay as my coach. <laughs> like if I have an opening, like if the Rams, a Rams, do you want you know okay. three first round picks, two second round picks, and you got to take Goff's contract. Um, <laughs> 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 hey, you got to take golf. Come on, get out of here. Uh, all right. So tomorrow night we're going to go back to uh, wrestling. Bill Hanstock, who we were going to have on last week uh, before the world started to burn down, uh, is going to join us tomorrow. That'll be a really fun show. Thursday, little NFL, little NBA, little music and pop culture with Matt Money Smith, and Friday back to basketball with Aaron Larsoul. Um, great week uh, to to finish things off. Got some good stuff. Looking forward to next week as well. Thank you again to Kirk Morrison, and we will see everybody tomorrow. Donk you, Nederland. <laughs>